what his eyes were seeing didn't make sense to his brain. He was looking, and the more he looked, the more he couldn't make sense of it. The bush was quite clearly on fire, and yet it wasn't burning up. And he hears a voice from heaven speak to him and tell him not only who he is, but how he was going to use this man, Moses, to lead his people out of Egypt. Moses was rather a rather humble man. In fact, rather self-deprecating. And you read the rest of Exodus 3 and 4, and what Moses has is a litany of excuses about why he isn't the one to do what God had called him to do. In fact, God leads off with saying, I'm going to be with you. In fact, you're simply going to be my spokesman, and I'm going to do all of the work in getting my people out of Israel. And what Moses was most afraid of? Well, people not listening, him not having the ability. And so what does God do to assure this man's, well, struggling faith? His weak faith? He gives him a sign. He says, throw your, your staff on the ground and it, becomes a, it became a snake. He, he grabs it by the tail and it, it becomes his staff again. He sticks his hands in his, in, the, in his pockets and he brings them out and they're, they're white with leprosy. And he sticks them back in and he brings them out and they're healed. And he, God tells Moses here, now not only have you, do you have a sign that will convince you I am going to be with you, but you have a sign to convince the people you're going to be speaking to that it is I who sent you. Now fast forward two or three hundred years and you see a man who's fearful. He was talking with another man and that man said, I am the angel of the Lord. And instantly this man's heart became fearful because he recognized that the stories he had heard from as a child that his, his father and his, maybe his grandparents had told him, he was talking to God himself. And so Gideon says, If I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you. Even though... The angel of the Lord had said, I will be with you. In all the different things I'm going to ask you to do, don't worry, I will be with you. And yet Gideon's fearful heart said, not only give me one sign, he ended up asking for three. To which God graciously and compassionately answered. Gideon, Moses, People that, that you and I would look to as, as heroes of faith. People who had this, this strong faith in their Savior and yet, at moments in their life, had a, a faith that was weak and, and wanted a sign from God to back up the words that God had said to them. In essence, they said, Lord, I, I hear what you've said. Prove it. Isn't that what you and I do as well? 
Like I can remember as a, as a child growing up hearing one of my friends make some unbelievable claim and my response was, oh yeah? Well, show me, prove it. Right? Even as adults, we might hear someone make an, a rather unbelievable claim or a claim that doesn't really make sense to our own ears. And so in our mind, or perhaps we even express it as we tell them, well, prove it, show me that what you are saying is true. You and I have just entered the season of Epiphany along with the rest of the Christian church. A season in which God reveals to the world the Savior who has come to save the world. The, the one who God had promised for ages has now arrived and has come to save all people from all of their sin. That's a rather bold claim to make, isn't it? That at least the, the child that we saw last week in, 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 a, in a manger, in a stable in Bethlehem, is the one God had sent. It, it doesn't seem like that child was going to do much of anything. And yet as we walk through these, season, through these weeks of Epiphany, it gives us the opportunity to ask God to prove it. Show us that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And my guess is you know how this is going to turn out each week, right? That as we listen to the gospel through the gospel of, of Mark, we're going to hear our Savior both in his words and we're going to see him with his actions again and again back up that claim that he is exactly who he said he was. The promised Messiah. The Savior. The one who has come to save you and me from all of our sin. Now, where do we start? Today, Matthew takes us back to what occurred somewhere between a few months to maybe a year or so after Jesus was born. And we're told that Magi from the east came to Jerusalem in search of the Savior. Maybe just a few quick notes, historical-wise, if nothing else, just to satisfy curious minds. Magi, wise men, they were the, the, the university professors, the learned men of the day. They, they studied the, the writings of, of the ancients. They, they knew the stars and how they worked. They had named them. Oftentimes, they, because of their knowledge, they were rather influential in the kingdom's and the countries in which they live, becoming advisors to the kings, which makes sense. In fact, we're even told Daniel, right? Remember the story, Daniel and the lion's den and things? That Daniel was put in charge of a group of these wise men when the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon. These wise men were from the east. Now, there's two different ideas as far as where the east is. The oldest comes from and is references a, a, uh, a passage in Isaiah when it says, All from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Ancient Sheba was way down here, what is modern-day Yemen. Perhaps more what we probably tend to think of them coming from Persia or Parthia. Right? That you'd think of Boy, as, as Daniel and the Israelites were in Babylon, 
They would have had more than enough opportunities to tell people about the, the Savior God had promised, to tell them about all the, the words the prophets had shared about the Savior and what he was going to come to do. Regardless of where they came from, they made a journey. 500-ish miles if they're coming from over here. 1,200, 1,500 if they're coming from down here. Now, regardless of where they came from, more important than where they came from is what they came for. Listen again to the Gospel of Matthew. He says, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They came to worship. Here you had not just wise men, but believers. Believers who in some way had come to know about the the promises God had made in the Old Testament, had known what this Savior was going to come and do, and, and understood when they saw this star in the sky that the Savior had come. And their thought was, let's go worship him. Let's find where this star is going to lead us. It's going to lead us to the Savior. Let's go find the Savior God has finally sent who's going to save us from sin and do the thing that believers do, right? They worship. And so they set out and they follow this star and this star takes them to Jerusalem. Now, in Jerusalem and all of Israel for that matter, they had been under the rule of the Roman Empire for a number of years. The the Romans, as was their custom, set up a a government in the countries they ruled, made up with people that were not only loyal to Rome, but familiar to the people as a way of keeping down, well, uprisings and rebellions. And so there was an Edomite, someone from the land of Esau, well, from the family of Esau, named Herod, who was ruling. The Magi come to Jerusalem. They say, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. And Herod's response was that he was disturbed. And we're told that all of Jerusalem was disturbed. Maybe a few things just to know about Herod. Herod was nearing the very end of his life and therefore also the end of his rule. He had just killed one of his ten successive wives along with three of his sons. Because they were plotting against him. So you can imagine then why, well, not only Herod would be disturbed if all of a sudden he caught wind of someone else aiming to be the king of the Jews, but you could also understand why the rest of the city of Jerusalem was a little on edge. Because they knew what Herod would do. The Magi come and say, where is this king of the Jews. We've come to worship him. And so Herod gathers together the the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, right, the Pharisees, and they respond and say, understanding scripture, know exactly where the Savior was to be born, right? They quote the prophet Micah and say, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over his people. 
And if you look, keep going in, in the prophecy of Micah, you'd say whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. In other words, the Savior, whose origins are from of old, whose origins aren't just of human nature, but of divine nature, that the Savior that God had promised to was going to be both God and man, was going to be born in Bethlehem. And here it says, well, go, and if you find him, come back and let me know. And so the Magi go to Bethlehem. They find Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And they do what believers do. They worshiped. They worshiped that newborn, or they worshiped that child that had been born, king of the Jews, the savior of the world. They offer him gifts that, that show the, the joy and the thankfulness that they felt in their hearts about the, 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 the gift that God had given of a Savior. And then they went home after they had been warned in a dream by God not to go back to Herod. It'd be nice, wouldn't it, if God worked the same way at times in our lives? My guess is you've had those moments in your life where you've had a, a major decision to make or you weren't sure about what to do. Wouldn't it be great if, if God gave you some sort of sign, like a star in the sky or a dream at night, right? Something where you could say, yes, I know this is God and he's helping me in this particular situation. Whether it be a, a major life change or perhaps it's in one of those moments where our life is in crisis and we want to know kind of what's going to happen next or how it's going to turn out because of the fear and the worries and, and everything else, the anxiety that's building in our hearts. Be nice if God gave us a sign. And that's not to say that some haven't tried. Right? In, in looking for a sign, they've turned to horoscopes or astrology or, or some other thing, but... Well, you know as well as I do, those things are, are so vague, anything could be true. Or perhaps you and I jump in the opposite boat. Where we see the things that happen in life and we take them as a sign of, this is how God feels about me. Right? Things aren't going right and so we assume we must have screwed up and this is the way that God is, is showing me and giving me a sign that he's not happy with me. Or that he's mad. You know, as, as, as you and I long for a sign from God, we end up in the same place, well, Moses and Gideon did, don't we? Where we have an entire book that tells us exactly how God feels about us, exactly what God is going to do for us, how he's going to interact with us here on earth, how he speaks to us through his word. And you and I set that aside and say, that's all well and good, God, but prove it. Give me a sign. Like Moses and Gideon, where we end up is having a faith that doesn't exactly trust the word that God has given to us in his, in his Bible. 
It ends up at a, a faith that doesn't take God at his word and say, Lord, if this is what you've told me, I know it's rock solid. In essence, what Gideon and Moses and you and I end up doing is saying, Lord, I know you've told me you will never lie. Lord, I, I know that you always keep all of your promises. Lord, I know that you have been faithful in every single thing you've done and in every single, single interaction you've had with mankind. And yet, Lord, I'm doubting. I'm not sure if you're going to keep your promises to me at this time. So, Lord, give me a sign. That longing for a sign from God is really just the sign of a weak faith, isn't it? A faith that's doubting God's promises. A faith that's struggling like Moses and Gideon's faith to, to take God at his word and say, Lord, if this is what you've promised me, I have complete confidence that you are going to do for me is exactly, or you're going to do for me exactly what you said. My guess is, if it happened to you, right where you told somebody, look, this is what I'm going to do, and you can trust me. And in that interaction with that person, you had been completely faithful in everything you've done in your past experiences, and they kept coming to you and saying, really, are you sure? And then they kept checking more on you. What at the end would you finally do? My guess is you'd probably throw up your hands and say, if you're not going to trust me, I'm just not going to do this. We should have every right to expect that's what God would do with us. Here I have been perfect in every interaction with you. I've kept my word. I've kept my promises. And yet, you still doubt? But he doesn't. Instead, in his unbelievable love and compassion and mercy for you and I, he doesn't treat us as our sins, as our doubts deserve. Instead, he continues to show us his love. Right, you, you look at the, the Magi, they, they follow this star, it takes them to Jerusalem, and they're kind of left wondering, well, is he in Jerusalem? They, they got to within a couple miles of the Savior, and then they had to listen to God's word. Right, and, and God's word pointed out to them exactly where that Savior was going to be found. You and I, as we struggle with these doubts that we have in our hearts, as we faith that at times is weak and, well, it fails us, we have a God who does so much more than just give us a sign. God doesn't just give me a sign. He showed me. Right? He, he showed me just the full extent of his love by, by sending a, a child who, who came and was born in, in a manger, who grew up and lived a, a perfect life, kept all of God's commands perfectly. He did what is absolutely and completely impossible for you and I to do. And not only did he keep all of God's commands, he perfectly trusted his heavenly Father. Even when that trust brought pain and suffering and heartache into his life, 
even when God's plan for Jesus' life meant Jesus went to a cross. Jesus prayed, Lord, if there's any other way we can do this, let's, let's do that. And his father's answer was no. This is the way. And so Jesus responds, Lord, not my will but yours be done. And he perfectly trusts his heavenly father even when it meant going to a cross. But how important it was, right? Because with that perfect life, And his willing death on the cross, our Savior wipes away all of our sin. With that that perfect life and and death on the cross, he takes away every last one of our sins and, and all the guilt that goes with it. He washes us clean so that we're able to stand before God just like Jesus is, perfect and holy without a single blemish. even more. He fulfills every last one of God's promises. And he does it all so that you and I can see not only that we have a Savior from sin, but a God who loves us so much he showed it. He proved it. He proved it by continually keeping his word. So that now when you and I are going through life and those doubts creep into our hearts and we wonder how in the world God can make any of this work out for our good or we wonder how this could possibly be good for us. When we're in those moments of life where we wish God would just give us a sign, we have something even better. He's given us his word. His word in which we have promise after promise after promise of our God saying, not only am I going to be faithful to you, not only do I keep my promises, but every last one of those promises are yours. Which means I'll be with you. I'll never abandon you. Everything that goes on in your life, I will work out for your good till finally you are with me forever in heaven. He says, you're still not sure? Let me introduce you to my son. And in his son Jesus, we see our Savior, and we see the most beautiful description and picture and proof of exactly how God feels about us. Man, we could look at this and go, Lord, I don't know how my life is going to turn out. I hear those promises you've given to me now, prove it. And God does just that, doesn't he? With his words and with his actions, he shows us exactly who he is and exactly how he feels about us. Over these next several weeks, we're going to just hear the same thing over and over again. Right as we walk with Jesus through those early days of his ministry, we're going to be able to hear our Savior again and again say and do things that show he is exactly what we thought he was. The Savior God had promised. And in doing that, not only will our God strengthen our faith, but you and I as believers will become more and more confident of the one we follow. 
a Savior who's taken away our sin, a Savior who's with us every day of our life, a Savior who one day will take us to be with him. Amen.